0: everyone and welcome to a new edition of the iowa agronomy update and uh, it's easter weekend here saturday of easter weekend and want to get a podcast out because i know there's uh, a ton of our listeners out in in pickups running tanks around and in tractors running fertilizer and planters and and you name it it's been really amazing here in the last couple weeks to really see how mother nature is really uh, come around with our uh, with our field conditions now across the state. I'm sure we've got anywhere from planters rolling uh, pretty heavily in in the southern part of Iowa and, and fertilizer going on heavy in the central part and and really uh, probably just getting started in the in the northern part after the a little uh, precipitation up north here in the last week and a half or so. So, uh, but just want to say a huge thanks to our. Uh, input retailer suppliers, uh, fertilizer suppliers, and seed suppliers, and and all those people out there that have been putting in hours and hours of countless work to make sure that we get our our inputs on our fields uh, in a timely manner here when the field conditions uh, are right and unfortunately here at the learning center that hasn't been hasn't been the case we've had technical difficulties with electrical and control modules and now hydraulic pumps on the tractor so uh, hopefully everybody else's luck uh, is going uh, much better than than ours here uh, as well Uh, Easter weekend, uh, you know, busy week. Uh, Been a busy week, been wanting to get a podcast out. Everybody's busy. Uh, Everybody's busy getting plot seed out and getting seed delivered. So I just wanted to give a a quick update here uh, real quick. And and really, uh, you know, tomorrow is Easter Sunday, but it's also crop insurance uh, planning date for soybeans now. Uh, wink wink hint hint I see that everybody's following along with that uh, that planning date especially uh, around the state southern part of the state here this last uh, week been noticing a, a lot of a lot of planners out um, probably probably both crops running uh, you know and and really you know conditions conditions have been really good so I really can't blame uh, a lot of people for uh, getting a, a good start on on planting season here this week but uh, a good omen here uh, with planting date and landing on on Easter Sunday that means they should have uh, should have some good luck here hopefully to get get that started so We've got some uh, tidbits here that you know to to kind of follow up on. I don't know uh, if anybody else has seen these um, these kind of rules that have been floating around uh, on Twitter or, or the the web or a blog or, or I've seen it in no, numerous different places. But I believe it's Ed Casper uh, out of Illinois that has these uh, ten commandments uh, of corn planting. And I just kind of wanted to touch on a couple of those, and and if anybody knows Ed, tell him that I think these are these are spot on, and I really uh, really enjoy these uh, these pieces. But really, you know, his number ten is really plant by plant by the conditions and not the calendar, uh, and I think that's really what what people have been doing here in the last week is really just going off of conditions. Now, I'd also jump to uh, number. I think it's number five you know make sure you know the sins of your planter will haunt you all year so uh, make sure that those conditions are are good you know you know there's still a lot of uh, gravel roads that are still getting softened up I'm assuming the frost is still coming out of some of those shady spots Uh, so we still have to watch field conditions in in a number of uh, of areas so but but another one here is is make sure you get out get out and look um, make sure you know what's going on behind you uh, and really make sure you don't get ahead of yourself with uh, getting uh, ahead of your fertilizer getting too quick behind your fertilizer make sure we watch that fertilizer burn uh, and then also make sure you don't get ahead of your uh, herbicides so. Get a little moisture and a little heat here, and, and our uh, weed bank is going to take off here at some point. And if if Mother Nature would happen to turn on us, we don't want to be, don't want to be out of position with those uh, herbicide applications here, uh, either. So uh, certainly uh, slow down. Uh, make sure that we're being safe out there. We're putting in a ton of hours here in the last uh, week and a half or so, and and really appreciate everybody doing, uh, doing that. And so. Um, but with with soybean planting uh and really the emphasis of maybe getting beans out ahead of corn here the last couple of years uh we got some tidbits here that I wanted to kind of re circulate from last year's uh segments and and just an, a couple segments on soybean high yield management and i think it it really touches in on you know what we should be thinking about uh our soybean seed treatment i know if if you're getting your seeds treated uh you know at the retail level or custom or whatever you're doing you know uh make sure we understand your sds pressure uh where that's at make sure you understand the sds uh rating uh of your product and and know what uh, what we're dealing with there because our our data is certainly shown here uh nationally and locally that uh even even with very little sds uh Foliar symptoms uh, it still seems like there's uh, some some interaction going on uh, at that root level so uh, in that plant uptake so uh, make sure that we uh, can get those uh, addressed uh, with a I seed um, application there uh, as well so so with that, happy Easter uh, happy planting uh, fertilizer tillage, you know, whatever you guys are working on, uh, you know, make sure it's a make sure it's a good one. Uh, Make sure uh, that you uh, take your time and be safe out there as we're putting in long hours and long days. So uh, next couple segments here will be on soybean high yield management. Uh, There may be a couple references to uh, when they were recorded last year. But overall, the the information is still very relevant here uh, as we move into the 2019 season. So again, happy Easter and look forward to hearing from you again. Thank you you're looking for when it comes to high yield soybean management
1: first and foremost i mean obviously um varieties but when it comes to actual management decisions i would say planting date you know unlike corn a soybean is limited the most by the amount of sunlight that it can capture so our goal throughout the entire season of that soybean is to help it increase or maximize the amount of sunlight that it can capture throughout the season. So I think that planting date is first and foremost on my mind, as far as that goes, um, just because that plant will focus on vegetative growth and adding more leaves and more nodes up until we get to flowering, which is going to occur around June 21st. And then it's going to start also putting some energy and growth towards that reproductive cycle. So then we have, we aren't going to have as much vegetative growth um, after June 21st. So the earlier we can plant that bean, the better off we're going to be. Yeah. And then that that also ties into what populations are we going to put them at. So if we continue to think about maximizing basically the amount of leaf area or how much sun we can capture, um, it, it almost goes backwards to what you think about is the earlier that we the earlier we plant we want to keep the populations lower because then that means that those plants will compete for each other for space for longer. And then they're stretching out and they're competing more. But as we get later, you know, I guess in my area, Northeast Iowa, when I think about later soybean planting, I'm thinking about, you know, mid to late May, that's when I want to start dropping those, or that's when I want to start increasing those populations because I can no longer, maximize my sunlight capturing factory by growth i have to maximize it by having as many plants as possible
0: yeah, that's uh, that's a good point nicole so when we think about you know we we tend to think about late late planting dates and if we get we get stuck into corn planting and and what you know we get into later may and think about how do we maximize that vegetative growth I think you mentioned that more let those let those seedlings compete against each other to force themselves closer to the sun. Correct. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yep. yeah. So I'm, I, I would say, you know, everybody would think, OK, I'm going to plant really early. So then I will, you know, I'll put more seeds out there because I am assuming that I'm going to lose stand. Well, a if you're going to plant into a situation where you're assuming that you're going to have plant loss, you know, may, maybe wait for a different day or make sure that you have as much treatment on there to protect that seedling as possible. Um, but if, if we have too many in there early, then they get, I don't want to say too much growth. It's just that there's too much, there's too much competition. Right. So the earlier you're planting, that's when you're going to go on your lower populations. And then as you go throughout the season, um, changing to uh, switching your population, increasing it so that you can uh, increase the amount of leaf area that you have out there by having more plants. Yep. Um, and just ha- having that be your focus is always capturing as much sunlight as possible. Yep.
0: So, you know, Nicole touched on plant populations, uh, Scott, what, um, what's the general, what's the general theme or where, where, where are we at on general planting populations on soybeans uh, today in, in your area? Yeah, yeah. Uh,
2: as 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 far as plant population Brent? Sprint. Okay, yeah. I I guess uh, just as rates. I mean, uh, you know, we're. I mean, we we've kind of run trials before, and and uh, you know, we're still dropping you know 140, uh, uh, not 000, But but to 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 uh, Nicole's point, you know, we we know we can support higher yield at lower population, but we're still putting some extra seed out there for wherever we might be losing stand. Uh, you know during, during the growing season. So but uh you know when we get into in parts of southern now we got some areas that have got some some lighter soils there in, in or, or side hills or places where we you know we, we struggle to get top growth. Those places we're probably still gonna be pushing pushing populations a little bit higher. Uh just to, like I said, we're you know to Nicole's point, we're kind of you know Trying to trying to inter intercept sunlight. That's really what's making yield. That's sure. you know, the, the main component of the or one of the main components. So uh, those areas. Yeah. Were, so we're, we we're bumping you know we the, we
0: spend a area. lot of time on on corn management and population and matching matching up the right population with the right hybrid. But when we get into soybean varieties, you know we seem to th- seem to stick with um, you know the same same population across all of our acres. Is there a point here where, and you, Scott, you kind of touched on it, you know, a little bit. Watch your environments. Watch where you might be losing stand. I think Nicole said, you know, can can soybean scripting start to play a, a larger role in, in these in some of these environments? You know, we've always talked about variable rate scripting, and and mainly people generally tend to lean towards uh, towards corn. But can can we start to think about you know, lowering that population in your higher productive ground, maybe bringing that population up uh, in some of your lower productive ground to to gain more leaf area, like Nicole said.
1: I think that the soybeans are such a unique animal and their ability to compensate for a loss of population, um, as well as their ability to both lose and gain yield Um, after flowering has been initiated, I think that that leaves a lot more questions on how do we make these population considerations? Because on on corn, it seems like it's a lot easier because there's not as much fluctuation in in how each individual plant responds. Um, So soybeans are just, there's a lot more factors that go to it, but I think that With all the information that we're able to gather, and all the information that we're gathering on our different varieties, we're gonna really be able to start making a template for that.
0: Okay. I, you know, Nicole, you'd probably be the closest. I know you mentioned you don't get quite get into the lobe, but you know we we do hear of some instances where guys are are basically doing dual variety products into the lobe. So you got your different susceptible versus uh, resistant varieties that do better in those iron chlorosis areas. And you do see some scripting in in that sense, but uh, maybe not so much for population wise is what you're saying.
1: Yep, and although this year uh, we will be working with climate and with a couple of climate enabled growers to do some population studies on the soybeans. So like I said, with the data that, that we are capturing, I think that we're going to be able to gather some more information and create some trends for that.
0: Great. Thanks, Nicole. So Scott, I think you touched on it a a little bit earlier and really around variety selection. So, you know, most, everybody's probably got most of their varieties uh, picked out, ordered, maybe even delivered at this point, you know, what, you know, what were some key things, you know, if they don't have them, delivered yet what are some key things when you're thinking about choosing the right variety
2: for your area well that's a, that's a great question I mean because you know yield is is obviously what pays the bills but but yield if, if you can't support that yield by fighting off or have defensive you know the right defensive traits you're not going to get very far so If I'm picking varieties, I'm really looking at the environment I'm going in. You know, we talked a little bit about disease earlier, earlier, um, for, you know, a lot of us in the state of Iowa and and maybe more so in parts of Southeast Iowa, cool wet conditions are also pretty conducive for sudden death. And that's one of the factors that I'm looking at when we're looking at high yield environments, at least least in, in our, in our world down this part, this way is, is that, that. Like I said, I've got to have those those defensive traits there as well, especially if I'm going in those those fields that are prone for sudden death, or uh, if you're other parts of aisle. If it's if it's if it's white mold or uh, uh, brown stem rot, whatever it is, you really need to yeah. kind of match that. Nicole, anything
0: from towards, you that anything field? different from you that you'd be looking for in that variety
1: selection? I think the the biggest thing is. When we look at corn, a lot of times people think, oh, defensive versus offensive. But, in, you know, when you look at soybeans, having good agronomic, not defensive, but agronomic traits does not mean that that variety is going to be limited on yield. It's all about picking out what are your key risks. You know, if you know that you have a white mold field, I think, I think anybody that deals with white mold year in and year out knows that you got to go genetics first. Um, as far as having a tolerance to that and then go with whatever management decisions that you can there, but um, picking for the agronomics on that field first and then, and then going from there.
0: Yeah. So really both, both of you guys really brought up a couple topics that really in all, in all fairness probably deserve its own, its own podcast episode. You know, Scott, you brought up SDS. You are probably the hotbed of SDS in, for the state of Iowa, Nicole, uh, you're probably the hotbed for, for white mold. And so those are two things that, that are obviously the top of, top of mind when it comes to managing for, for soybeans there. That's for sure. We move out the door with some of these products. Uh, you, you've touched on a couple, a couple management, uh, especially SDS, you know, Scott, what, um, you know, what are you doing for any seed treatment packages there that you're, you're using to help uh, withstand some of that SDS tolerance?
2: Yeah, sure. I mean, uh, I I guess one of the things that's, that's become uh, pretty common, especially in, in Southeast Iowa or anywhere in Iowa really where where SDS is, is a concern is, is a product called Olivo. Um, We've, we've seen that for for a couple or we've seen the product for a couple years now um and even last year last year was one of the you know we we see sudden death every year last year it was around but it wasn't as prevalent um but even with not showing outward leaf symptoms of the disease uh, where we were looking at side by sides and strips uh, with and without the product we're still seeing three to five bushel advantage um and that's because that, that the disease is still there. You know, it's uh, SDS is a uh, 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 fusarium fungus that attacks the plant at the root. Um, and so even though uh, the dot were appearance were, you know, which we typically see when that 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 top of the plant is not actually showing, it's not the disease, it's the result of, of the fungus on the roots as that plant uh, brings nutrients and moisture up through the plant and sends it to the, to the leaves is when uh, it's sending that, you know, sending a toxin uh, from those roots. But so we know that the fungus is there. It's just not always immediate evident at the, at the, at the leaf level or above the surface. And uh, we're still getting nice control. Yeah. We're we're starting to, starting to hear a
0: lot of that product move move further West and even into areas where, where we typically don't see those, what you mentioned, the, the above ground symptoms of SDS. So we're, there's, there's probably more symptomology there than what, what a guy realizes. Is that what you're saying? Yep. Nicole, how about on your end? What exactly, um, what yep. are you, what are you recommending out the door for C treatment packages uh, up in your neck of the woods?
1: So, I mean, obviously fungicide insecticide especially for the guys that are going to be you know going for that yield and trying to get the beans in early knowing how important that is um alivo you know it seemed like a couple years ago sudden death wasn't really heard of in my far northeast territory it was white mold for those guys and then two years ago those beans just got smacked with sudden death on guys that have never hardly seen it before in their lifetime so especially with all those rotated fields, those bean fields that got smacked with sudden death are coming back into beans this next year. So I am, you know, Scott Johnson, give, give you an air five right here because I'm all about the allevo on that as well. Oh, that's a, and then, you know,
0: a, a podcast um, first we, here, an air five. How about that?
1: <laughs> but then, you know, when we do that earlier planting, you know, most of our soil pests like it cool and wet too. Um, As those soils dry up and warm up, those pests go further down into the soil where they can be more comfortable. So the earlier we plant, that's why we have, we're at higher risk for, for insects. So having that insecticide on there on the treatment. And then like we talked about before with the Pythium, Phytophthora, Fusarium, Rhizoctonia, you know, also the importance of, of having that, um, that fungicide on the seed as well.
0: Great, now uh, you guys got some great insights here from and uh, from your parts of the the state that really that really go after those <clears throat> that those diseases so once once we get in the ground here uh we get going uh what what are you looking for uh for any in season decisions that that will still be able to affect your your high yield management and your soybeans?
1: Foliar fungicide. Oh, ah, fungicide. <laughs> yeah, the, the one thing, and I, there's, there's pockets, it seems like, throughout Iowa that they just don't spray fungicide on soybeans. Uh, for myself here in Northeast Iowa, I think that fungicide on soybeans is an easier economic decision to make than fungicide on corn, because I see it work more often, year in and year out, more consistently on soybeans. And in my mind, it is an absolute no-brainer.
0: Yeah. And I think, I mean, a lot of that plays into the economics, right? I mean, it only, it only takes about, you know, depending upon your, your, your cash price, you know, you know, probably three bushel-ish uh, return uh, to get that, that fungicide paid for. Are, are you looking to throw an insecticide with that fungicide or not?
1: I mean, obviously, we don't want to go out there and just make indiscriminate applications of insecticides. That being said, um, the insecticide and the fungicide do seem to work well together and increase the consistency of our results with that application. Um, But we also have to, you know, when it comes to the timing of that fungicide application, if I'm aware of aphids that are starting to move in, um, it makes me less likely to put an insecticide in there because I don't want to kill off the beneficials that would be predatory to um, to those soybean aphids. And increase my risk of having aphids coming into that field. And then also weather. So if I am getting into a droughty situation and we have a risk of spider mites, uh, pyrethroid insecticide is the last thing you want to put on that field. Um, so if you have good conditions, you don't have those other things and you've got all these other small populations of other um, economic pests, you know, absolutely throw that insecticide in. It's going to increase the consistency of of your return on that fungicide application. But if you have some of those other things that you need to consider, you know, definitely do your scouting, um, do your information gathering to help make that decision.
0: Great, Scott, how about you? Any, anything different there in in Southern Iowa that you're looking for
2: in season? Well, you you know, obviously like, like Nicole said, fungicide is still, you know, I think that's kind of one of those things that uh, um, I'm with her. I think that there's a lot of guys that uh, probably need to take a look at it, the name that I've looked at it for a while and, and see the, that there's, you know, what kind of benefits it can bring to their operation. Probably the other place I'm looking here is, is especially if a guy's got extend beans out there, is, is uh, you know, is it, taking, taking a look at the extend herbicide system. Um, you know, weeds are getting tougher to kill all the time. Water hemp is, 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 seems like it gets meaner every year. So it gives me, uh, if, I, if I'm looking at a, at a system, that would be one of the places I, I would look that, uh, a place to increase yield. You know, I'm not uh, going out burning beans, trying to control uh, those, uh, keep those tough to curl, control weeds down. Yeah. Uh, the beans are and healthier, that they're happier, they're happier, they're that, yielding again, more. Again, it's all uh, about it's nice keeping system.
1: those leaves there. Um, when I think about guys going out and making a first application of a burner, when those beans are only about at B3, man, it knocks those beans down for about a week. And we've just lost all of that good vegetative growth opportunity. And like we've been saying this whole time, that's the exact opposite of what you want to be doing.
0: Yeah, that's that's good good points you guys and, and really spot on there on as far as fungicide, insecticide goes and or any in season decisions for that matter. Uh, so we're we're coming up on our on our thirty minutes here.